What's good? My name is Tosin Najala from Atlanta, Georgia, and you're live with Dynasty Bro Basketball Podcast. Let's get it. What's good? What's good? It's your My guy podcast bonus episode racist demic part you can't read i'm back though well hey what's going in and out so that you might have to clean that up for us <laughs> turn out a wi-fi off hey, <laughs> hey look. Long, bro. <laughs> sorry let me get my life together hey what's up brodies and bays this is the dynasty bros fantasy football podcast we don't have an episode number for these. This is a bonus. Shout out to Avo. Even when he don't got to guess the number of the episode, he's going to mess up the intro. We love you for that. Look, I am Dynasty Bro Die here with my co-bro. Dynasty Bro Vic. What's up, everybody? Yeah, bro. How you doing today, man? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. And we're joined by some guests. Uh, so, yeah, man, but I'm happy to be back for part two. We got a nice panel. Um, to Avo's point, we're here to, you know, hit on part two of the racism pandemic. Um, so we want to hone in on how do we solve social injustices? How do we end police brutality? And we brought in some good folks. So um, let's go ahead and just start with some intros, if, if we may. Let the people know who you are um, and what you got going on and you know where they can follow you just to start. And then, of course, we'll do that again in the end. So let's start with the lady. It's me, I'm Ashley, Ashley Tanner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm based out of here at Indy. Um, I work for a major retailer as a product manager, um, Indy-based retailer. Um, I don't really do a whole lot of social media, but if you want to follow me, feel free to find me. It's pretty simple. Ashley M. Tanner on Instagram. Um, yeah, for me. All right. Chris. Hey everybody. It's uh, Chris Howe. Uh, I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, uh, CrossFitter, comedian, uh, and uh, very glad to be here today. You can find me online on Facebook at Chris Howe Comedy. Uh, on there, I have uh, links to all my other social media items. Thank you. All right. Chris didn't mention um, jiu-jitsu, so he can kick your ass, too. So <laughs> he, he's very humble. <laughs> Holding that one back. <laughs> all right. Last but not least. Uh, I am Sam Lane, uh, or you can call me Stompy uh, as well. You can find me on Twitter, at Stompy the Bear. Um, I work in bioagricultural. Um, I'm, a, I'm a chemical engineer, so we grow bacteria to try and replace uh, fertilizer, uh, chemical fertilizer, so a, a more natural product. Um, and yeah, there you go. Cool, cool. And Hoppy, stop, I said Hoppy, Stompy failed to mention he'll kick your ass fancy football, so yeah, uh, yeah he does that, <laughs> do so. that. So yeah, we got some humble, humble guests on the panel today. I said humpy. I don't know why I said that. Uh, man, that is like far. <laughs> that is so far from the worst derivation of my nickname. It's not even. Funny. It's not even. It's not even Wednesday, man. So yeah. All right, cool. Well, <laughs> that's cracking up. But uh, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we wanted to revisit the whole racism pandemic discussion with a part two. Uh, so last week we kind of, you know, touched on, you know, things that frustrated us as it relates to some views from the black community. Um, and again, these are all individual views. Um, so not not to say that we, we spoke for the entire black community. Um, but this week we want to kind of hone in on some solutions, um, some ideas on how can we end police brutality, you know, social injustices and systematic racism. But before we have, you know, the discussion go that route, I certainly want to give you guys the opportunity to just vent or share a message. That way you're not just brought in just to help solve problems. So 
Um, I, I'm going to start with you, Ashley. If you have a message or if you want to just vent, take a moment, you know, what, what frustrates you about today's racial climate? Yeah, so actually right before I hopped on here, um, you know, I was scrolling through Instagram and came across um, something that actually Trevor Noah had posted and he had said about uh, Richard Brooks and that whole situation. Um, and he made such a good point that I kind of want to reiterate it here. It just kind of like resonated with me. It was, um, doesn't matter what the situation is, you're always hearing the ifs, if they would have done this, if this, if that, like at what point do the ifs just stop? Like at what point do we stop questioning and just say like, this is wrong, something needs to be done. I, I guess for me, I get frustrated when I hear people, anybody really, but especially people um, closer to me who are saying, well, you know, if you look at the video footage, if they would have done this, if they would have complied, if he didn't struggle and run away, I'm just, I'm sick of hearing it. I'm, I'm over the ifs, like stop ifing all over the place. You know, um, for me, at least today, that's definitely a frustration. So. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. Uh, we do need more accountability. Um, you know, it's my understanding that police do have de-escalation training, but it doesn't seem like they're really leaning in on that training. Seems like they go from A to Z, which is, you know, pulling out the gun. Um, I mean, they got mace, pepper spray, batons, flashlights, tasers, but they skip bypass all that. Even the hand, you know, the hand hand on hand combat, even, you know, you can physically take someone to the ground as long as they're not aiming a gun at you. Um, if you're not in immediate danger with a knife or anything like that. So it seems like they're just skipping all those steps. So yeah, I, I can agree with the if, especially when people are complying. Right. And that's the thing you, you actually, that's what I say when people say, did you watch the video? Yeah, I watched the video. I watched him complying. I watched him explain that he just celebrated his daughter's fourth birthday. Like he has kids. Come on, man. And then he's, you know, he does a breathalyzer test and they arrest him. And I'm like, he said his sister lives, what, like a block away or down the street. Could you not have just given the guy a ride to his sister's place? I understand that you're trying to keep people from drunk driving, hurting themselves, hurting others, hopefully. Um, but why not just give the man a ride? Like, give, especially in this climate, you had every opportunity to do the right thing, to be a, a human being and kind of empathize with your fellow human, and you failed. You failed. How does that happen? How does it happen? Time and time again. Yeah. Ashley, speaking to the event that occurred in Atlanta, um, any other reactions from the panel to her points? I there there shouldn't be ifs. I mean, there shouldn't like take it for what it's worth. Yeah, well, if he had complied, if he had just not fought the arrest, but they just went. The people that say that say that don't understand the background. Like, how many false arrests have occurred on black people? How many, how many, I mean, I, I watched the Khalif Raymond uh, documentary the other day and he was fall, basically falsely arrested and held in prison for three years before he, before he even got a trial and he was beat to hell in prison and it eventually led to his suicide because he said he couldn't take being in prison again after he had gotten arrested again. And so you need to understand or I, I mean, I guess the, the more privileged and mainly white people need to understand that there is a history behind that fear, behind that resisting uh, police officer taking you in. Because there's been many, many mistakes at this point in time about false imprisonment, about getting the wrong guy, about putting guys on death row that don't deserve to die because they didn't do anything. So understand that and then understand 
that a drunk man running away is not in, in uh, he had a taser. Sure. But it's not like he's stopping facing them and shooting. He's shooting behind his shoulder. So at what point do you say, okay, well, he's definitely not a risk to our life because first off, it's not a lethal weapon. And second, there's no way he's going to hit those cops and you fire at him while he's running away. Like I, people just, I, I'm going to go this and go into my frustration here, I guess. So I think this is a good segue. So my, my biggest frustration is people, people don't, or, or just stop at a given number or a given excuse or a given reason and don't go deeper into why these prejudices, these discriminations, these things occur. I, I mean, I was having an argument the other day on Twitter. Not a good idea, by the way. Don't do that for your mental <laughs> But this guy kept saying, well, they, they had to be arrested for some reason. And he, and he invoked the, 13, the 1350 or the 1352 statistic nonsense, which is used by white supremacists everywhere. So I called him out for that. And then I said, but you need to understand that there's so many false imprisonments for these people. Well, why? But they wouldn't be arrested so much if they didn't have so much crime. Do you understand why they're they're in crime-ridden areas, though? Like, I, do you understand where we put them into a, these people into a situation where they have they do have to do everything they can to survive, and they don't get any help? So that pushes them into things that normally you wouldn't do if you didn't need help, if you weren't desperate, and it, and. And you just keep going back in time and people, especially white people, tend to just stop at the number and not understand the context behind that number. And that that what that is what drives me crazy right now is it's all interconnected from 1619 to 2020. It's all interconnected. It goes from and if you've watched the 13th uh, documentary, it goes from slavery to um, Jim Crow to redlining to the drug war and prison industrial complex. It's just different names and it's different buzzwords. It's different dog whistles. So I, I just, the people need to understand the context behind all of the numbers they cite before they cite them, because there's always a racial prejudice in those numbers. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, you're speaking to social economic pressures. I mean, you yeah. can take a, poor black community and people will say, well, you got black on black crime where you can take a poor white community and there's going to be white on white crime. So it all comes down to, so, you know, social economics and opportunities and resources that are available. Um, so, yeah, I agree. That is a cop out argument when, you know, people try to frame it that way. Um, so, yeah, any other reactions or thoughts to that? Yeah, uh, this is Chris. So, um, one, one, I'm really thankfully invited me on here because it, it forced me to really uh, uh, research and dig in. Uh, and if I could be transparent, you, you look over time and you kind of uh, you look at how how you are the person, how you treat people, and if you feel good about that, you feel you're doing your part. Things publicized in the news, you um, you know, you think, oh, that was just kind of a one-off incident. Uh, but but through digging into this, um, you know, to be prepared for this and, and having some good conversations with uh, uh, various friends, and then yeah, I watched the movie of the Thirteenth. Uh, it was eye opening. Um, so if we talk about frustrated, you know, I feel I feel duped. Um, 
because I mean, I've I've been I've consumed what's been fed to me my whole life, and and uh, took it for what it was worth. Um, and 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 I say that being the type of person that I mean, no one would ever mistake me for a racist. Uh, so I'm a, I'm as uh, down to earth as you can be, and as open as you can be. But um, I mean, I, I ate all that shit I was fed, and and, and it's frustrating, you know. So uh, my my main thing right now. And, and what the value I think I can provide is to make sure that there's an understand an aligned understanding from what um, you know people support Black Lives Matter are asking for, and an understanding from the white population exactly what that is. It's not it's not freebies. It's not um, it's not a, a free pass or welfare or special considerations. It's the chance to have an equal quality of life uh, as, uh, as as we know it, and not have barriers um, um, that causes gaps in that quality of life, such as this color of your skin uh, or your ethnicity. So when you see, I mean, being a soldier, I've seen our government do this type of stuff uh, overseas and get us unnecessarily involved in, in stupid shit that has gotten out of hand. And then to see that it's being done in, in our own backyard to that degree is frustrating. I mean, I'm a veteran, so <laughs> it, it, it stings me on a, on a couple, of, couple of different levels. But uh, I'm also a positive guy, and I love that we're talking about it. I, I, and I, I will say black, black communities is the most united I've seen the black community, and I think that is why this is is different than every other time. Um, I mean, it just feels different. There is everyone's getting involved and in, in, in talking and doing forums like this. Uh, everyone that I personally reached out to uh, was more than happy to to help me understand things. And that's another thing I'd, I'd want to clarify in the white community. Um, I have plenty of black friends, but what I've realized is. I know them at the level we have common interests or hobbies. Like if we like um, uh, USC or gambling or partying or something, you know, I know my friends at that level. I, I feel like this week's the first time that I've seen my friends as black men and seen and, and had them share with me their experience as a black man. And so that, that for me was very eye-opening because again, I could say, well, I, I know I know how black people feel. I have plenty of friends, and um, I'm very close with them. But but I could also say I'm close with them at a level that um, we find common points. And I'm just now understanding them and their experiences and their their outlook as black men, and, and it's been very eye opening. Yeah, that's an interesting point because we don't often talk about you know race even amongst ourselves. I mean, having these dialogues. I've been knowing Dot and Abel for like 15 plus years, but I can count on one hand a number of times we actually sat down and talk about race. So sitting down and talking about it with other races and with people from other walks of life, you know, it, that does speak volume. So um, Dot, you got anything? Yeah, man. Um, it's crazy because I didn't have this frustration last week. I guess it just never hit me. But, um, you know, now seeing all this backlash from these the new videos coming out now, about the incident that just happened in Atlanta. Um, it's like, well, clearly he was fighting back and resisting at the end, no matter how compliant he was at the beginning. Dude, the the misunderstanding that nobody can give, like, like trying to understand 
going into a situation with the people that are supposed to protect us on a day-to-day basis to get stopped and pulled over and feel like this might be my last night living by the people that are protecting you because they have ultimate authority in this damn country. It feels like they, they do whatever they want to. They're above the law. They're, they're just, they just do whatever they want to at any given time. So just, being scared about that and telling somebody how to react when they're scared, like you're here, you're supposed to look out for my life the same way you're looking out for everybody else's life after this stop. And just being afraid for your life, it's not always resisting because I'm trying to get out of the trouble that's about to come. Nine times out of 10, it really don't even be no trouble. Like I'm about to go do some real time. I think at this point we're resisting because once those cuffs come on, it's like, Okay, now they really can do whatever they want to me at this point. You know, that man's trying to run for his life. He ain't trying to run to escape no real jail time at that point. So to just take his life is just a damn shame, man. So, like, if you will never understand what that feels like to get pulled over and feel like the the people pulling me over are supposed to protect my life, but they're going to take it instead of protect it. It's one of the worst feelings you can have, bro. So that's what's crazy with all the shit that's going on right now. Like, especially with current situations that's been happening since we even talked about it. So that's another frustrating thing for me, bro. Yeah. And people got to even realize, even the police, and of course we know there are good cops out there. So we're not, you know, talking about all cops. We're just talking about the bad apples, but at the end of the day, some jobs can't afford bad apples. So, I mean, you know, you got to hold your peers accountable, but um, people react in like one or two ways, maybe even three ways when in terms of fear, either they run because they want to you know, get out of that situation because they feel they're in immediate danger. They either come at you in a way that they feel like they got to defend themselves or, or they just freeze up like you just can't even move at all. So, um, you know, I, I just want people to kind of understand and, and acknowledge how fear makes people react. Um, and then that's why people are running. They're not running because they're the bad guy or bad girl. They're just literally fearing for their lives and if there's a tiger right in front of me, I'm a run. I'm not going to stand there and freeze. Hopefully I don't freeze. But so, yeah. Um, and then, Chris, you spoke about allies and how, you know, this time feels different. Um, I agree. Um, I will say, it, at least for me, it feels like we have a lot more allies um, out there protesting front lines with us. Um, so it, it definitely does feel different this go around. Um, and, and of course, for me, well, also what I'm noticing the millennials and not to say you don't have older generations, but xyz's whoever come after us one two three like these people grew up watching people die on camera so you know their breaking points probably a little bit different than the older generations because it kind of seems like at least with my parents generation you kind of just went with the flow and you know you just you know you just were doing as you were told or you know i mean you just kind of fell in line and not to say you didn't have people that didn't stand up for themselves but they did but for the most part everyone just kind of fell in line kept their head down but um this this younger generation they're not going for that so um, I definitely think times are definitely changing as it relates to allies and everyone speaking up for each other. So, all right. Any uh, other closing thoughts before we transition? I, I actually had a question for you and Dot. Um, I, I've always, I've asked this question a couple times to some people, but this is one of the more sinister parts of racial injustice. Uh, especially in the justice system. I I don't know if you guys have kids, um, but either way, if you have kids or as a kid, did your parents have to talk to you about 
what the police, while the police are, are, are viewed as the people that are supposed to help us do, do, do black parents have to, I mean, what is it like for black parents to have to tell their kids that to be aware, wary of police and be wary of certain parts of town and stuff like that because they won't be accepted. Yeah. Go ahead. Doc. I'm going to let you leave. Um, whew. It's a hell of a question. I'm going to try to cover it as in depth as I can. Um, my mother never had that conversation with me. And my father was in and out like, you know, weekend dad coach. So I never had that conversation. I will say at one point, my mom's husband at that point, we got pulled over one day literally for nothing. And it registered later on in life. And he was like, man, that's just called a DWB. And he never broke anything down to me. And it registered as I got older. I was probably middle schoolish when it happened. As I reached high school and started talking to my cousins more and, and realizing like we're targets, you know, some we're targets basically. Driving while black is really a thing. Um, I I didn't touch on the traffic stop I just recently had, maybe a couple months ago on air last week. But when we got off, I was telling Vic and my brother Snell about the traffic stop and just how it made me feel, man, because they 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 want you to be angry. They want you to be this mad person so then they can take advantage of, well, he was responding this way to me, asking him questions. And they wanted to pin, like, I feel like they got frustrated as I had a rebuttal to everything they asked me nothing was bad. I don't do drugs. I'm on the way to work. Yes, I might have a nice car, but the way they were pinning things on me, you would have thought I was the kingpin of my city. And I'm like, they're trying to take me to a point where I'm trying to stay calm, trying to stay relaxed. And I'm positive, but they still want the negative out of you. So I never had to have that conversation, but with the way everything has been exposed to kids, I have a son that's about to be two. It's too young. We can barely have normal conversation. He's baby talk right now. But I just had I just heard my two nephews have a conversation at eight years old. And I had to briefly talk to them about it because keep it brief. I'm not their father. So I'll let my cousin have that conversation with him. But uh, it's frustrating because now you have to have it because they're targeting younger and younger people now. It's not just let's target men now. There, I just seen a, a you know five black kids held up in Atlanta, in a neighborhood right before we got on this call, and it's like yeah they're targeting teenagers, young high school kids that have no that that aren't supposed to have real concerns in the world when it comes to stuff like that. But it's a it's a rude awakening at fourteen now. So yes, you have to have those conversations, which is even more frustrating because. My brother Vic said this at my house this weekend. You're starting to take their innocence away at a young age. But the world is making it that we have to do that now so then they can be mentally ready for a brutal world, man, because it can be. So, yes, it's frustrating that, you know, the age of taking their innocence away is getting younger and younger. But in all actuality, we have to do that to keep them prepared so they can know what to expect. So... It's real. Yeah. From my standpoint, um, I never was given the talk, um, but I have been in racial profiling situations. Um, so, you know, my dad's from Nigeria. I mean, 
I, at least I don't remember him giving me the talk. Um, I'd say maybe he was naive to that. I don't know. But with my mom, any, anytime I've ever seen her in that situation, my mom, she was uh, very vocal and, you know, she stood her ground and, you know, she wasn't going to get, get punked by the police. And I remember being a kid, asking my mom to calm down and, you know, telling her, you know, just to relax because I feel for her. But um, she was just being a leader and not backing down to any prejudices. So um, I don't have any kids, but I've coached um, youth, like a youth football team and I have a nephew. So I don't coach now, but I feel like I always have responsibility to those kids. That's why I'm always wanting to sit up here and talk about this stuff, because I feel like, you know, I can be that voice for those kids, um, you know, who don't have any idea as far as what the world is going to do to them out there unless things change. So um, I feel like it's my duty um, to speak up, um, you know, for my for my nephew's sake, for my family's sake, um, for the kids I've come in contact with, because I like to mentor kids. And then one day I plan to have children. So um, and of course, hopefully I have grandchildren. So I'm just laying that groundwork now. So I think it's very important. Well, and the reason I ask is because while I don't have kids, like just the thought of having to share something like that with my eight-year-old that when, when and, and as white children, I mean, they're brought up to respect police because they're helping us and they're putting their, uh, putting their lives on, on the line. And, but I, I can't imagine having that discussion with like, like Dot said, an eight-year-old kid who doesn't really fully understand the world and why a cop would want to shoot him. Tamir Rice was 12 years old. Like, I mean, you're right. It has to happen now because apparently holding a, a BB gun or a pellet gun is going to get you shot because you're of the color of your skin. And I, I just, I, that's kind of one of the things that I always want white people to do in these situations is put yourself in those shoes where you have to, if you have children, you have to tell your children at such a young age when they're still growing up and you want them to be innocent fun that they could be uh, discriminated, discriminated by police and they can be shot as early as apparently 12 years old at this point. Like that's just a scary and sadistic thought. And it had and it and it's real. Yeah. And I know you got people out there, you know, that may say, you know, well, white people die in custody all the time. And it's almost like, well, for one, this is a human race issue. It's not a black and white. I mean, you have bad people of all races. So when you see people dying in custody, but you see mass shooters get escorted out and even pit stop that Burger King, it's upsetting. So, um, yeah, man, I, I just you know, want people to just kind of look at the bigger picture here of why this is frustrating. And, um, you know, until the people who say, well, white people are dying in custody, well, it's like be outraged and we'll be outraged with you. We don't want anyone to die in custody. So, all right, let's uh, use that point to transition. Um, so let's talk about some solutions or ideas, you know, to end police brutality. Um, if, if Even if we want to take it, you know, one by one or you know, if something comes to mind for social injustices, but I just want to ask the panel, how can we end these issues? What are some steps we can take? So there's been a few that's come up. Um, I know I've talked with, with at least a couple friends and I have a, I feel like I have a pretty diverse friend group on purpose because I like a lot of people in my circle from all over, um, keeps things interesting, think it's important. But, you know, we, we're having some really, good, hearty, interesting conversations. And um, someone 
uh, brought up the other day, they said, well, you know, you're, I think I was talking about my company. I said, they're great. You know, they're, they're talking about, we're having conversations and they're doing all these great. I said, okay, that's, that's great. Um, look at your C-suite. What, what do you see? Like how many females do you see? How many black women, how many black men? I'm like, damn, that's a good point. Cause it's all, it's all men, it's all white men. And they're all, all like at least over the edge of 50, a lot of them 60. There's no diversity. Um, you know, especially when you talk even lower level, like management level, um, you know, the people that I interact with on a daily basis, it's like a handful of people that, that aren't white. Um, there's literally two or three black women in particular, and they're stellar at their job. But it's like, why, when I look around the room, when I'm in a conference room, why are 90% of the people in here the same skin tone as I am? It's a good, it's a good point. Um, and I just, I think that's definitely one place within the workplace, maybe not specifically pertaining to like police brutality, but when we're talking social injustices and trying to like right some of these wrongs and just get people thinking, not even writing wrongs, but just get people thinking, right? Um, you have people who are just outright racists who drive around in their fucking jacked up F-150s with their Confederate flags hanging out everywhere. And they're just super proud about it. Um, and then you got people who say, well, I'm not racist, but there's a lot of... Um, what I think people are talking about more microaggressions that are happening. I think calling those out are super important and you don't have to be like, I know I'm not, I try not to be rude about it, but I'm like, Hey, this happened. Might want to think about this next time. Like having those conversations, even one off with my family, with, with my white friends. I mean, those are super important conversations that hopefully more people are also having with their friends, with their family behind closed doors. Um, you know, it's really uncomfortable, but it's it's super important. So, yeah, to your point about the workplace, I mean, we've even had those conversations at work and CEO leading those discussions. So, I mean, hats off to them because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that's tough, especially leading these initiatives um, across a large organization, a global company. Um, but it, it's not to me, it still kind of feels like a Band-Aid because it's not addressing police brutality. That's the main issue. Um, but I do think they're all interlinked. Um, but we were just, you know, given Juneteenth off this Friday. So it's a company wide holiday, celebrate Freedom Day. Um, so, you know, that's truly black people's 4th of July in terms of freedom, you know, June 19th, um, instead of the 4th of July. Um, so we've been granted that and a lot of corporate companies are starting to acknowledge that company, but, you know, they're starting to write the ships, uh, you know, in corporate, but, you know, we, we need these issues addressed, um, as it relates to law enforcement. So. But yeah, great point. Um, I, I think the best idea is right now is is the actual what is defunding the police, but people don't want to call it that because apparently they think we're taking police away, which we effectively are. Um, but putting money into social services, putting money into uh, mental health services, um, one of the biggest things that, I mean, we talk about the, the drug war and what Reagan did in terms of policing and all that, but one of the, uh, again, more, more um, under the radar things that he did and probably had as much of an effect is he basically got rid of in mental institutions. He, he basically defunded mental health care. And now those things are treated as crimes. I mean, you have somebody who is out of their mind and they don't listen and they won't go down. You should, he shouldn't be shot. They shouldn't be shot. 
Uh, maybe some of these people have learning disabilities or just can't hear or are just overall are disabled and can't do the things that you need them to do. They shouldn't be shot. And that's why like healthcare in this country is so bad is because we dismiss mental health. Um, and, and that includes uh, drug, um, drug addictions as well. Drug addictions aren't a crime. They shouldn't be held as a crime. It should be held as a, or known as a, a mental health issue. And True. But we, we, de, we have de-emphasized getting help for our mental health so much in this country. Suck it up. Boys don't cry. Kind of bullshit like that. And then you get people out there who are having issues or depend on drugs to get through the day. And that ends up with more, more black people going to jail because they have to, they get access to drugs and that's the only way they know how to cope with certain things. Um, so I think emphasizing on social, social and, and mental health based initiatives, taking away the police's authority in those matters. So instead of the guy who's drunk, drunk driving, instead of, um, him or the police going to him, you can get a social worker or somebody who works with alcoholics and sit him down and give him a coffee and take his, drive his car home for him. Kind of stuff like that. Because really why, why, why does a cop need a gun to deal with somebody like that? If you just treat him calmly and don't put him in handcuffs, the handcuffs, like, like somebody said, are a trigger. They're a trigger for things to happen, especially when he's not in the right frame of mind or in the right mind. So I think that's where the focus needs to be is take money away from the cops, get less cops. And they only focus on violent, violent crimes, um, murders and, and rapes and stuff like that. And let the mental health professionals and the social workers work with these crimes that quite honestly, shouldn't be crimes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, one thing, um, I mean, like systematic, it's uh, that just that sounds like very complex and, and challenging. Um, but it's also something that I feel sh should be addressed as well. I mean, we talk about companies that uh, how they're going to respond to this. A lot of people will do they'll create a new role or, you know, they'll hire some people to, to balance out um, uh, the, 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 the pictures on the wall. Right. Uh, but I, but I think it would be cool if, if companies invested in like local inner city high schools and um, addressing whatever like kind of lack of funding they're getting to have programs to equip um, you know, the kids with, with the right skills they need to be more than what they what they've seen in their lives. Um, and you know, I think back to a friend of mine who was doing uh, student teaching. Uh, she was working in a, a, a school in uh, downtown Muncie and said that they had like a, a day where they asked the kids what they wanted to be. And a lot of kids talked about working at a gas station or doing these things. And then when she got a job, she got a job in a, in a fluent neighborhood and the kids talked about being lawyers and CEOs and stuff. So, um, I mean, I, I think when you talk about system, there's things that we could chip away with. Uh, if we could have these companies versus just hiring some big role to, to cover their, their butts, just invest in the local communities. If it's a better cop training or the, the local education infrastructure. So there is more of a talent pool out there for these jobs. I think that would be, be awesome. 
And then I think it's at the family level too, where you, uh, you, you tell your kids that they can be more than, than they've ever believed. And uh, you also, uh, at the, on the white side, you, 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 you demonstrate what it is to, to treat people equal. And you don't do that one thing in public and say something else behind closed doors, but you know, just live by the golden rule and treat everyone as you want to be treated. And, and that doesn't differ by by race or anything. So, attacking it at the at the policy level and at the at the family level, I think they're the best things now. And um, you know, I'm assuming I think our biggest gap right now between um, Americans is that I don't think that there's a true understanding about what the Black Lives Matter movement is about. And so, I think it's very key to to make sure that people understand that this is, you know, a, a movement to to be to be equal and, and not have um, race play in um, opportunity and experiences in life. Yep, true that, true that. Um, and you know, I kind of answered this question a little bit last week, Vic. But uh, you know, I, I answered with my, you know, everybody needs to be more open to conversation and viewing the other people's side or point of view. But um, I do like what Christian said. Um, as far as, you know, investing. And I do think it would be nice to, you know, keep building up these black communities, man, because instead of tearing them down and moving us out and then turning the other parts into black communities and taking out all the good businesses and all the money that's making and moving it out and then leave, we're not tearing everything down. It's, we're getting replaced. They're replacing some of the areas we're in, building them up, moving us into areas they're tired of. So, like, just help everything be built up. Bro. How how bad is how bad is the city if everything is built up? You feel me? Like, there's no such thing as a white community and a black community. It's just the whole fucking city is nice and funded, and everybody's getting the same kind of help, education, business wise. Everybody's getting jobs. That would help the whole city. That would help everything. That would help people of all color if everything was just getting the same kind of cash flow and same kind of energy and attention. So, you know, um, I think that that's always good, you know, funding the black community, man. That's, um, we spend, we spend so much money on a day to day basis anyway, for all of these businesses, not just black businesses. So, uh, just building us up while we're spending and, and you know, helping the, you know, the flow of everything that would help us out and help out, everything in the long run not just us so i do like that idea chris all right my answer is going to be a little bit more loaded so looking at the police brutality um to me there's a fundamental issue with the training i mean if if you still have incidents going on and people aren't even recognizing the sensitivity of the times right now and you're still rolling out with your actions and ways that's a problem um and i think it starts with the education piece um, to me, you know, if you got doctors who have to go to school for six to eight years, even longer to save lives, I think police should be held to that standard. I mean, if you're going to protect and, and serve the community and potentially save lives, you need to be held to that same standard as someone in the medical field. So I would like to see longer training. Um, you know, I would like to see it go through the college system, earn a degree, because if, if you go to school, you will be put in an environment where you come across different backgrounds that you're not used to. I went to a predominantly white institute. I mean, I'm from the inner city of Indianapolis, but 
my roommate was a white kid from Northern Indiana, Goshen. I don't even know where that's at. It's up by like Fort Wayne or something. But I was put in an environment where I had to, you know, leave the east side of Indianapolis and be in this community of Greencastle. So just, just going to school alone opens you up to different ideas and, you know, different cultures. And then also you're taught or you're, you're kind of forced to kind of learn about other people, whether you want to or not. So for me, I would like to see the police learn about the communities they're policing. Um, I think they should learn history in general um, as it relates to, you know, the Holocaust, as it relates to slavery, as it relates to, you know, the, the natives. I mean, I just feel like how can you police a community that you're not even willing to understand or try to understand? And for me, racism comes from ignorance and fear and you fear what you don't know. So let's get educated because think about it. We all go to work. And sometimes we get put put with tasks that we have no idea what we're doing and we're fearful, right? Because we don't know what we're doing. But once we get educated, someone guides us, we get more comfortable, we're okay to take that task on the next time. So, I mean, to me, that's kind of how I break down racism. It just comes down to ignorance and fear. You fear what you don't know. Uh, we've seen even clans members turn around and, you know, once someone kind of had a dialogue with them, they see things different ways. So um, that that's where the dialogue is key. So. Um, yeah, so for me, with the police brutality, I think it starts with the education piece. Um, they need longer training and education. Um, they need to revamp the education because or, or the training because it's not working right now. If, if cops are rolling out there on edge, and um, I kind of want to debunk the mindset of you're out there to get these bad guys. Yeah, there are bad people out there. Yes, cops are put in dangerous situations such as shootouts and stuff like that. We're not discrediting that, um, but. I feel like this last situation that just happened in Atlanta, if the cop went in there with the mindset of, hey, let me save this person from themselves versus I need to protect myself from this bad guy, uh, we would have had a different outcome. Damn. So that's kind of how I look True. at it. So I kind of want to see the police take a different step and take that approach. And there's an officer I actually want to shout out. Um, actually, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but on social media, on Instagram, there's a uh, let me find it. He's out of Little Rock, Arkansas. His name is I'm about to find it real quick. Here it is, Tommy Norman. So he's a white officer. He patrols a predominantly black community in North Little Rock. And when he pulls into the neighborhood, you got kids running to his car because they are excited to see him. To me, that's the definition of protecting and serving. If you can win over the community, yeah, in that sense, you're out there with the community. You know, he's you don't have to, but he's buying them candy. He's making videos with them. Not to say he has to make videos with them, but he's out there just letting the community feel his presence in a positive way. And the kids aren't afraid of them. They actually can't wait for Tommy to roll through and, you know, to hang out with them and, you know, patrol the area. So to me, that's the true definition of protecting and serving. Um, so until we get to that mindset and that place, um, and I do understand, again, there are bad situations out there, but not all, not everyone's bad. So you got to kind of not go out there with an edge. So I, I think, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head a bit there. I think you need to go a little bit deeper though. And, our entire education system needs to be revamped. I mean, we are falling behind in literally every major category in terms of our education here. Um, but let's look at like inner city schools. Inner city schools don't get funding. You, you have, uh, they aren't safe places where that they should be. I mean, and the, sometimes they, it, with those red line districts, they, they are dangerous places, but they've been forced to be that way. 
but yeah, I mean, school is somewhere where kids should feel safe and should be learning everything. And I mean, all of us know in history class, we gloss over the major atrocities in our history. Um, I don't know if it's embarrassment or you just don't want, they just don't want to acknowledge, but from the American, the genocide of the American Indians to, um, to what we're dealing with today with, with the black community, we, I mean, we just don't want, we, we learn a little bit about slavery. We learn a little bit about the civil rights era, but you don't go in depth. You don't talk about redlining. You don't talk about what exactly Jim Crow was. I mean, you don't talk about the justice system as it is in the, the prison industrial complex like it is. We don't know these things because it's not taught. And that's something that needs to be taught to everybody. In civics, you need to teach about the atrocities that occur in your country so you don't repeat them like we have been for 400 years at this point. Germany, does, Germany doesn't just black out the the Holocaust era from what, 39 to 45 or so, no, 33 to 45, they teach that and they make sure that everybody understands what a, a historical atrocity that was. So it doesn't happen again. And that needs to happen in the United States because everybody that I've talked to that is on the side of the police or is against the protesters does not know where all of this comes from does not know why black people distrust cops, does not know why racism is just rampant in, in our culture from the, from the get-go. I mean, it's it's been built into our literal founding documents in the Constitution of the United States that a black person was three-fifths of a person. They don't teach that. And I think once you start to understand these things about what happened, you start to realize Black people have had, have had it rough for 400 goddamn years in the US, U.S., 400 years. I mean, it took us 250 years to abolish slavery, and we're still fighting this stupid goddamn fight 150 years after slavery ended. So why? I mean, we didn't, we didn't learn anything from our past, and, and people need to understand what Richard Nixon did. He instilled fear into especially Southern whites that black people equate to dangerous. They equate to death. They equate to criminals. And that's where like the drug drug war came up and that's Reagan made it worse. And even a Democrat, Bill Clinton signed the 1994 crime bill that made it like, explode made the prison population explode but especially for african americans 40 percent of the prison population is african american they make up 13 you guys make up 13 percent of the population don't tell me there's not racism okay they make up 15 percent. okay we can we can get away with that error you don't have a 17 percent error by the way black men 37 percent of the prison population you're going to tell me that they are Three, I, I think it's like five times more likely to create or to be a violent criminal than anybody else. Do you really believe that? That it's in their DNA that they're going to be violent criminals? Do you really believe a baby is going to be a violent criminal? When it, do you, I mean, look at what you're saying. Look at the logic behind it. And that's what needs to happen is people need to be taught about the things that their ancestors did to specific races so we know exactly 
what we shouldn't be doing. I mean, if, if we were taught these things, do we really, really think that it would be as bad? I don't think so. Because if you're taught that to have empathy for people that aren't the same as you, if you're taught that death is death and it's awful and there should be nobody that's afraid for their life from a person who is paid to protect and serve, that we would have the situation we're in? No. But we're founded on racism. Some people may not be, may not think they're racist and they may be pretty not racist, but there's just things in our language that are racist, that is just built in. Like, wait one cotton pick in a minute is 100% a racist term when you look at the history of the U.S. And then the other aspect is you, we assume things. I, I did this and I'll call myself on it. Um, I, I started a podcast called Listen and I, I interview uh, it's been two African-Americans thus far, but it's supposed to be a before oppressed individuals. Um, and one of, one of them said, I didn't grow up with a dad. And my first thought was, well, he either must have gotten arrested or died. But what is the natural thought there? The natural thought should be, oh, he, they divorced. My dad just wasn't there. That should have been the natural thought. But my thought goes, oh, well, he's either in jail or he's dead. That's that's racism right there. Cause you assume that he's in a bad place. So I, I, I just, I, the education system in the U S is so bad and it needs to be reformed and it needs to get to a point where we, we hammer home that we can't do this anymore. We can't, these things happened and they've been in throughout our history and we have to stop it. Yeah. Any other comments to that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that I, I don't think, um, at least amongst the, the, the people I come across day to day that look like me, that there's an appreciation for, for how bad it is. And, um, you know, what, what my, uh, my recommendation is, uh, you know, there's a eight minute and 46 second video that it just captures, it captures it. I mean, obviously from the, the event to the crowd and the things that they're saying amongst each other, I mean, there's almost like, what are we to do? We're black. They don't care. You know, I can't do anything. And it was just like this, this, this hopelessness. And I'm thinking, this is, this is now, this is in America this, right here. This is happening. This is bullshit. I mean, I don't care what that dude did. I mean, and, but even, even past that, if you just look at that cinema, that crowd, I, mean, that, I just can't, I can't even imagine that. And I, and I don't know what that is now. I mean, that's white privilege. Why I can't imagine that. But there is a, a, a large group of, of our Americans that, that that's what they know. And it's, it's horrible to think that. Yeah. So I just think people really need to understand and, and look past what they've been fed throughout their lives or how the media's positioned things and really look into how a, a group of humans, a group of Americans are being treated in our own fucking backyard. Yeah. It's a human race issue, so. But the media paints it as black and white, and we play into it. But so, uh, I, I watching thirteen or thirteenth. Van Jones said something that was pretty like hit hit everything home. Was a lot of people ask why don't why don't you do anything about it? Um, why why don't you protect and protect your your per, the, your person who's who's dying there? And it's. 
and he said, but he said something that I just, I was, I had to repeat here was you guys kill off all of our leaders. You kill off Martin Luther King and Medgar um, Evans and uh, Huey Newton. And I mean, Malcolm X, you kill off the people who speak up for us. So when you have the FBI going against you, nobody wants to be caught there. Nobody wants, no, everybody's general I thought is I need to live. That's, that's what evolution is, is finding a way to live. And it's getting to a point where those, those who speak out and want to have a better life are killed. They are, they are assassinated because they are strong black men. They're strong black women who want equal rights. And the underlying current of the United States is that black people are second class citizens. That is our history. And I mean, it, it's so perfect because yeah, you killed Martin Luther King who, who helped get civil, the civil rights bill passed, who's helped get the voting rights bill passed. You killed Malcolm X who was for uh, vigilant uh, justice. You killed Huey Newton who was trying to empower black men to protect themselves with guns against police because that is their second amendment. Right. And then Ronald Reagan, the, the, the face of the, the, Republican party is the first person to propose gun control because a black person or black men have guns and they're, they're protecting themselves. And so, I mean, that's the biggest thing is you, you weaken the black, black community so much because you kill those leaders that they have learned to not really speak up. They, I mean, I talked to a kid who I, I was waiting in a restaurant. He was cleaning tables. And I said, how, how are you doing with everything here? I, I know it's been a tough couple of weeks. And he said, uh, it's pretty normal. I mean, nothing really we can do about it. And it was like putting myself in his shoes that I would be so outraged. But when an 18 year old kid just goes, I mean, it's, that's kind of every day for us. That should, that should make chills go down everybody's spine that, they are that black people are used to dying in the streets by the people who protect and serve. Yeah. All right. Any uh, closing thoughts or comments before we transition to the last point? All right. One thing I do want to hit on real quick before we transition was the defunding the police concept. When I first heard that to me, it just meant reallocating, not, you know, removing police as an entirety. I mean, even look at some of the best school systems you have out here. Usually there's low crime in that area. So um, as it relates to solving social injustices, I think there should be penalties for police departments that continue to commit penalties and they should hit their budgets. Um, I think the mayors and the cities, town hall should come down and hit their budgets. I mean, there's no reason why police departments should have tanks and Lamborghinis and you know things of that nature. I mean, if we need tanks, let's call in the military. That's why we got the military. We don't need you acting as a military. So. Um, I would like to see budgets get reallocated towards school districts, especially the inner city. Um, and I would, you know, um, at least for me, I have a good hunch that if a lot of those funds were reallocated, more funds going to the school systems, streets would be better. Um, I mean, we got it right in front of us. Look at some of the nice school districts and in, in our cities and towns. It's pretty low crime rates, right? And I'm pretty sure you got to drive 25 miles per hour through those towns too, right? So, I mean, it's right there in front of us, so. Um, okay, let's talk about our uh, last point, individual role and responsibility. So what would you say, you know, should be our own individual responsibility in all this? What should be our takeaways? Yeah, so I think the key thing um, 
for me that, that I heard with the previous topic, I think everybody touched on it and it's vitally important is education. Um, so having these conversations, whether it's behind closed doors or even in public, having them with people that we might not typically have them with, putting ourselves out there, putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Um, you know, I think that's definitely important um, as far as what I'm doing personally and what I continue and will continue to do is just advocating. Um, you know, and it's not and it's not just posting on social media. I think a lot of people are doing that. And I think that's great. But I think we're kind of continue to do that, but we're kind of past that point, right? It's like, okay, that's all good and great. And you're posting things on Facebook and Instagram. Like we all know you're woke, but what are you going to do about it? Cool. What are you going to go do about that? Um, so I know like when I was um, down at the protest, there were a ton of petitions floating around. I mean, people are actually going out and getting people to sign things and people were coming up to me like, Hey, can you sign this? Sure. What is it? Like explain to me what, what you're going after. And it was that in itself was such an educational experience, something I've never experienced in my life. Um, highly recommend if anybody's interested, definitely do that. Um, and also we have the world at our fingertips. Like the thing that I, another thing that I don't get, and I'm not trying to air out frustration. We've already gotten past that point, but, um, We've got smartphones. We've got Google right at our fingertips. You, you can't sit there and tell me I don't know what to do. Fucking Google it for God's sakes. Like, and also another thing, stop asking black people what should we do. Google it. Talk to somebody. Like there are a lot of people out there. There are so many resources. Stop putting so much pressure and just overloading your your black friends with this shit. Um, I mean, have the conversation if they want to, but stop going to them constantly. I think. I hear that a lot. I hear that frustration a lot. Um, and for me, it's, I don't know, it, again, it was super educational for me. Um, so that's just kind of my take on it as of right now. I'm totally curious to hear what other people are saying and, and what more we can do. Yeah, that's a good point. We all know right from wrong. So, yeah. All right. What you got, Chris? Yeah, uh, much the same. Keep uh, the conversations going. Um, and I think through that, you'll if you're really looking for those opportunities, they'll pop up. You know, a lot of times people will know someone's got something going on. So I'm I'm certainly uh, uh, open and, and going to see how I can uh, can continue. You know, my education on things and to see where I can contribute more. And then I've got a soon to be five year old, and you know, I don't know how to have these types of conversations. I mean. He has a pretty diverse group of friends, so it's not been any type of issue to date, but I don't know the current landscape, if there's any things that, you know, other other families might be saying that will spill out into like the nursery school and stuff. So just like y'all said, like an eight-year-old's kind of like, yeah, it's, I gotta have that conversation at eight, but like five, it's like, God, why, why can't they just go play and, you know, Avengers or whatever? I gotta worry about this stuff, so. Um, yeah, obviously being uh, being a good uh, role model in, in with my family, and uh, you know, making sure with the, the folks that I have an impact on understand what, what this is about, and uh, seeing how we can support. Nice. How about you, Stompy? Um, well, I've been using my small platform to speak out, uh, and, and like Ashley said, it's not about just speaking out; it's about doing something. And I, one of the best things that I can do, I feel, is try and get people to listen to, to these stories, these experiences, which is why I did start that podcast. It's called Listen A Pod, or it's called Listen A Podcast, and it's on Twitter at listen underscore a underscore pod. Um, and I, I 
started it because I felt like the people who are detractors of the protests uh, don't believe that racism and policing is an issue and just racism in general is an issue in this day and age. And they, it seems like they don't believe these tens of millions of people that are crying out and telling you this is happening. Tens of millions of people aren't in on this goddamn conspiracy, people. You need to listen. Listen to the, what their experiences are. And, it, and it's just even from the smallest experience about, well, you don't sound like a, a black person. I mean, I, I, I view that, I, I'm sure a lot of people view that as an innocuous comment, but that's not an innocuous comment. You're suppo- apparently black people and white people are supposed to sound a certain way. And so if, if even if it's from that to just understanding like the um, situations with cops and, and like Dot said, I mean, having to fear for your life when you get pulled over, just getting people to be empathetic and live life in those shoes where you hear these stories that should break your soul because of things. These things are happening literally 400 years after the first black person was brought to America. And so I'm, I'm using that platform to grow that and, and um, hopefully get people to listen to these people who are oppressed and have that have stories. Um, the other thing that I think everybody should do is that everybody can do is vote. The only way that we get the GOP out of, out of Washington is a huge um, voting effort. That's how Democrats win. That's how Republicans lose. Is a and and you see it. I mean, it happened in Georgia again, where you're getting voter suppression. Donate to causes like Stacey Abrams. That's trying to make it easier for black people to vote, for poor people to vote, um, for for those voices to be heard. And I know Joe Biden's not the best candidate. He wasn't my favorite candidate. Bernie Sanders was, um, but. I mean, can we take another four years of, of Donald Trump? He threatened to deploy the military on American civilians. You think we can take another four years of this? Vote. You need to go out and vote. Wait in line for five hours. Drive people to the polls. But you need to vote. That's how you affect change. You get the leaders in there that will listen to you and listen to your stories and your experiences and will legislate those. Yeah. Can I touch on something really quick? Because you mentioned something super important, voting, not just presidential, local. Local is equally, if not more important. And so many people don't vote in local elections. Please vote in local elections. Educate yourself, Google, talk to your spouse, talk to whoever, um, and then cast your vote. One of, one of the best stories, uh, if you, if you uh, know anything about Selma and, and the beatings on the bridge there and stuff, one of the best stories that came out of that for me was one the the sheriff who who ordered these beatings when black people got the right to vote he was voted out of office that very next election and i love that story because it just shows you the power that voting can have and when you feel and you know that with your vote you can change the history of black people in America, you can help with the history and, and making them equal citizens. Then you understand that you need to vote. It is a necessity. Go vote. 
Yeah, I would say, especially the black people who don't vote, we do our ancestors a disservice. I mean, people died, um, you know, for this right, and we don't even take advantage of it. So, yeah, the voter suppression is real, even here in Marin County. But, you know, I recommend going absentee and hand delivering your ballot. That's what I do. Um, if we can deposit our paychecks from our phones, why can't we vote electronically? So, I mean, it just goes to show they're definitely trying to do all they can to impede that process. But, uh, but yeah, what you got for us, Doc? Um, you know, we kind of touched on this just uh, last week, but um, on top of the voting and educating yourself, just make sure you're open. Um, I know you, everybody's not going to share the same point of view, but I think being open is being willing to understand somebody's point of view. You don't have to agree with all of my points. I don't have to agree with all of yours, but being open enough to be like, I, I get it. I understand it. You know, you don't just have to be over here and be naive or be clueless. That's that's you choosing to be that. So, you know, that's that's the other step is just being open to understanding the other side. So that's just because I echo everything you guys touched on. So I just want to make sure I speak that to everybody. Just be open minded. All right. Appreciate that. And to close it out, I would just say let's just be accountable. Let's hold each other accountable. I mean, if you see something wrong, speak up. Don't be afraid to speak up. I know. Those are the you know, most difficult times to speak up when something's happening, but be that leader. Um, and I want us to start policing our own communities, um, white, black, brown, no matter what. I mean, let's get back to having block parties and knowing everyone that's on your block. That way you're not peeking out the window and thinking you got some suspicious activity going on. You just know, hey, those are the kids from down the street. Um, and when I say policing our own communities, I'm not talking about the George Zimmermans and the Cairns, I'm talking about truly, you know, the village mentality. So. Um, you know, let, let, let's do let's do our part. Let's not just know our, our neighbors on the left and right. Let's try to know everyone on the entire block. Let's get back to getting outside and having these block parties so we can know everyone. So um, I think it starts there. And then we don't have to rely on corrupt police to come, you know, defend us or, you know, de-escalate a situation or, you know, use, use poor training. So um, that, that that's my message as it relates to responsibilities and teach your kids um, the, the right thing. So. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't see any questions, um, so I'm just going to transition to the closing. So this is where we like to just, I guess we kind of, you know, I guess we could still do our positive words. So let's just start with where everyone can follow you at if you have social media or any closing remark you have. Yeah, say something good to the people. They're like, I don't care what it is, whether it be a blessing, a shout out. So first give where everybody can follow you and just say something good to the people so we can leave out on a positive note. And Ashley, we're going to start with you. Yeah, so I kind of like mentioned my, I guess, Instagram handle before. There's not much out there. I don't do a whole lot, but welcome to come find <laughs> me. It's public. Um, I think uh, the one good thing that I'm seeing is, you know, we are having conversations and those are great. There's a lot of good things that are coming out of this. I think it's it's important to highlight the obviously the negative and bad things that are happening to, to push for change. But it's equally as important to highlight a lot of the positive things that are happening. So, you know, I um not all cops are bad, we know that. And where I think we're seeing a lot more like even positive videos or Vic, you brought up a, an example where I forget his name on his community. I mean, you see that that happens more often than I think we actually see. And I think people are starting to take note of it um, and following or leading by example and other people will follow them. Um, so I think that's definitely one positive thing that I've been seeing more of on social media. Um, so that's definitely been nice. I would say share more of that. 
So yeah. All right, Chris. Yeah. Hey, it's uh, Chris Howe. You can follow me. Uh, just go to Facebook at Chris Howe Comedy. I've got links to my blog where I write about being a uh, 40 year old that leaves his comfortable executive job in corporate America to uh, be an entrepreneur one weekend or has a kid. Uh, and, and then he starts comedy as well. So I'd like to share that story with everybody. Uh, on a positive note, uh, just like I'm, uh, I'm doing with my life, I, I want everyone to, to live the life that they want and know that they're capable of it. Uh, you know, I'll follow the method, methodology of think, act, be. Uh, so whatever you tell yourself that you can't accomplish in life, that, that's, that's what's limiting to you. Um, you. You say that you can do it and success that you can. And then, and then learning the skills and overcoming the challenges is going to be the story that gets you to have an exciting and fun life. So. Uh, don't limit yourself and, and live a limitless life. All right. Appreciate that message. Stompy. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Stompy the bear. Um, also, like I said, listen, listen, a podcast is at listen, underscore a underscore pod. Um, I've just been asking uh, specifically right now, my black friends to come on and share their experiences, but it will evolve into LGBTQ. It will evolve into American Indian, a Muslim, Jewish, etc., Asian Americans, um, and I just, I, it's, it's to give a, a platform for people to listen to the stories of people's histories, true, true histories in America, and what they've had to deal with. Um, so yeah, go give that a follow and a, and a listen. Uh, just look up "Listen a Pod" and it'll be basically anywhere you can listen to a podcast. Um, my, my vote, my, my words are keep it up. Um, we have been fighting now for what, two weeks, give or take. And things are changing. They may not be changing like we want them to, but things are changing. The civil rights movement or the civil rights act, I believe was signed after eight month, eight days of rioting. Keep fighting. Things are changing. Minneapolis has basically guaranteed they're going to defund their, their police district um ralph northam who regardless of how you feel is is um proposing to make juneteenth in a virginia holiday um things are changing i mean even in football chuba hubbard called out his coach for wearing a a sweatshirt that uh supported a right-wing russian um russian i guess propaganda news network and Chubba Hubbard said, "I'm not. I'm not playing until you apologize for this and, and admonish it." And he did. And and he he did it today. I mean, it may be a little bit hollow, but keep fighting. These people. I think people are starting to understand. And this energy is so great. And I'm so glad that millennials and the Z, the the, the Z generation or the I generation, are are old enough to fight for things now. And just, it's it's doing good. Just keep going. Yep. All right, Dot, what you got? Um, I don't know. If, well, follow me at Dynasty Bro Dot on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow Dynasty Bros FFF, the main Instagram page. And I don't necessarily have a, you know, I just I really just want to shout out everybody. Everybody that's been on the front line. Everybody that's fighting. Everybody that's out there standing for something. Black and white. Shout out to our allies. Shout out to everybody who was an ally before and after. You didn't have to completely understand it, but shout out to everybody that's that's 
that's catching on and and like I said, willing to be open to be like, hey, this is a thing and I get it. You know, so just shout out to everybody that's just on this journey with us, man, because technically we should all be together in the journey of life in general. So that's my shout out. All right. Uh Dynasty Bro Vic, that's Instagram, Twitter. Um, of course, Dynasty Bros FF, YouTube, Facebook page, streaming everywhere, episodes. But uh my message is gonna be I wanna speak to the black community. Uh, I just wanna say don't be overly critical of how allies come to help. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, it's easy to ask for help and then be overly critical of it. My example is, you know, I like to hire movers, but I can't tell them, hey, be careful with this, or I got to expect it's not going to be perfect. So it might be some dents in the walls and stuff like that. But if I'm asking for help, they showed up. That's all I can ask for. Um, so yeah, it's not going to be perfect. Um, it's, you know, you never know the amount of courage, courage it took that person to even bring themselves to the table to even help. So we don't want to tear them down. So I just want to be mindful of that. Um, and also, yeah, let's just keep fighting a good fight and you know, racism was the cool thing to fight two weeks ago on social media, but let's just keep it up. It seems like social media is definitely being utilized in the right way, and we're bullying racism because we want to put an end to it. So um, shout out to the allies as well. So, yeah, that's my message. All right. Um, that's been another episode with Dynasty Bros FF podcast. We're going to get back to fantasy football next week. Uh, we just want to take a break just given, you know, what's been going on. So I um, definitely want to thank you all for joining us on the panel. And then also I want to thank the previous panel. Um, definitely means a lot. So thank you guys for, and gals for being leaders. So being, being and correct. Gals. Appreciate it. <laughs> inviting me. Yep. Yeah. Glad I got it. Thanks for having us. Cool. All right. That is it. We are out. Dot, you mind walking us out? Yeah. Like he said, thank you. We are Dynasty Bros FF, the fantasy football podcast, but it's way more than just a fantasy football podcast. So. Thank you for everybody who listens to us, the fans that have already been listening, and the ones that we've gained recently. Appreciate you, and I hope you can appreciate everything that we're doing. So, on behalf of Dynasty Bros FF, I'm Dynasty Bro Die here with my co bro, Dynasty Bro Vic. We're about to head out. Thank you guys again for coming to the episode. You guys are awesome. Blessings to you. All right. <laughs>